Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this evening uh, to Paul's letter uh, to Timothy. And this evening we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1. And um, I put in the bulletin there verses 8 through 12. Um, but we're going to look at the, the second half of this chapter. Uh, one of the challenges uh, sometimes at looking at um, passages is knowing where to, to make a break, uh, how much to look at together. Uh, but there are certain themes that are woven together in Paul's writing in this letter. Uh, you'll notice that there's the theme of suffering. Uh, there's also the theme of guarding, guarding the gospel. Uh, and there's also this idea of shame. And all three of those themes are woven into this uh, chapter. Uh, and some of them carry forward. And so um, I want this evening to look especially at uh, verses 8 through 12. But we'll read uh, the rest of this chapter um, uh, as a, uh, a unit. And we'll be returning to those themes uh, in Paul's letter. For, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and beginning our reading at verse 8. Well, let's just begin at the verse 1 instead of out of therefore. 2 Timothy 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for, not, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phygelus uh, and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Shame is something that uh, is part of the human experience. Shame is uh, an assessment that we give. Ed Welch makes the point that when we become angry, our emotions are speaking. When you're angry about something, oftentimes your emotions are saying, that is wrong. But when when we have shame, oftentimes our emotions are saying, I am wrong. That there's something about us that makes us want to recoil and even separate from ourselves. We want to distance ourselves from what has been known about us. Maybe someone finds out something about us, or maybe we share something uh, about ourselves, or there's something that uh, is part of our life that we don't like, and that can very easily induce feelings of shame. And so shame is just uh, uh, it's a, uh, an emotion that is evaluating things. It is giving a, an assessment uh, about what we feel about ourselves. And sometimes our shame can be a, uh, an indicator. It can be a, a, a metric that is used even to un, uh, alert us about something. But sometimes our shame uh, can be for things that we shouldn't be ashamed of. Things that uh, we feel we, like we should be ashamed of, but really we shouldn't be. And this evening we are uh, looking at one of those areas that it's very possible for us to feel feelings of shame to want to disassociate even from things that we believe, that we want to hide or to cover uh, our allegiance uh, to Christ, or that we feel embarrassed about being associated with the church. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy about. You see it there in verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And we want to think about this Uh, idea, this exhortation that Paul is giving to Timothy, how he's telling him not to be ashamed of something, but rather he goes on to say, instead of being ashamed, we are to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And this evening, as we're turning to this, we want to think that because God's grace has been made known, we ought to be willing uh, to stand uh, for it and to promote it. Well, we want to think about uh, these verses that we read uh, this evening in two thoughts. We want to think about the danger uh, that Paul is alerting us to of becoming, uh, of shrinking back in shame. But then secondly, we want to think about the directive that Paul is giving uh, of rather suffering for the sake of the gospel. So first, uh, we have the danger that Paul is alerting us to. Uh, Our feelings can uh, draw attention to something. And here Paul is simply drawing attention to the danger that can take hold of a person. You remember last time we looked at how when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he began by giving thanks. As he remembered Timothy, he prayed for him night and day. And he said, as I remember you, I remember your tears. And as I remember your tears, I remember the sincerity of your faith, the genuineness of your faith. Timothy was a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus. 
He served the church in the first century in many different locales. He went to Berea, he was in Corinth, he was in Thessalonica, and now here he is in Ephesus. Timothy was uh, not someone that was shrinking back. He was someone who was serving Christ's church. And yet, Paul can write to Timothy because he knows the tendency of the human heart in spite of the fact that he has a sincere, a genuine faith. That doesn't mean that Timothy is immune from the pressures of life. That doesn't mean that Timothy is going to be protected from ever feeling the pressures of uh, uh, giving in uh, in a world that is hostile to the message of Jesus. And so this exhortation needs to be given even to sincere believers, even to genuine converts. They need to hear this because the danger is a real one, that we can easily shrink back and to become ashamed of associating with or identifying with the claim that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Paul is warning of there. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That is the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus as it goes out is not going to be a message that is universally embraced by all. There will be opposition. There will be rejection. And when that rejection happens, when that pushback comes... It can be a very intimidating thing. It can be a very unsettling thing. It can be a very threatening thing. Again, remember last time we thought very briefly about where was Ephesus? Ephesus was that great city, you remember, in the book of Acts when, uh, when one of the silversmiths uh, grew, uh, drew together a mob to protest what they saw was happening through Paul's preaching. And for two hours, the Ephesians were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They were celebrating their idols. And that was not just an attack or a hostile expression towards the gospel. It was a hostile expression towards those who would be promoters of the gospel. Imagine living in that city where you hear people chanting and shouting about their loyalty to their idol and the intimidating effect that would have on someone who's in the minority. And so when Paul writes this to Timothy, do not be ashamed. It's because it's a real danger that Timothy could shrink back into. But not just Timothy. Any one of us can feel that pressure. Any one of us can want to disassociate with the claims of Christ because we are social creatures. That's not a bad thing. But as social creatures, we want to be accepted. We want to be affirmed. We want to be approved. All of that is good. And yet it can become a controlling factor that we become so fixated on being accepted that we're willing to compromise the truth in order to be accepted. And that's the real danger. When in order to be welcomed, in order to be approved by others, we're willing to give up the testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we're willing to be quiet about the message of the gospel, the message of good news of salvation from sin. When we're willing to 
let that all go and to simply carry on in a way that everyone is uh, accepting of and approving of. That is really the danger of giving in to being enamored by the, the love of this world, that we're not willing to stand for the truth uh, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're willing to give up the truth in order of our own comforts and acceptance. acceptance. So if we are uh, professing Christians this evening, we should always be asking ourselves and examining ourselves, are we prepared to stand for something even when it's not popular? Are you willing to stand for something that you believe to be true even when it's not embraced by others? Are there things in your life that you can say, this is what I will stand for? irregardless of whether others approve of it or not. That the Christian is someone who is to live under that rubric, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that his word is authoritative and binding, that I live by the framework of what Christ has said. That is my authority. And a Christian is to be prepared to stand for that, even when it's not popular. But even if you're not a Christian this evening, that same question should be one that you're wrestling with. Are there things that I am prepared to stand for, even if it's not popular in the wider culture? What am I prepared to stand for? Do I believe in truth? Or is acceptance and approval the dominating factor that controls and drives my life? Paul here then is trying to remind Timothy not to simply cave in, don't be ashamed of the message of Jesus because there will be that danger. There will be that push to give in. And he reminds them not to be ashamed of the testimony. But not only does he warn them about the danger of being ashamed of the, the, the message of Jesus, he also warns them there in verse 8 not to be ashamed of Paul. Notice what he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul puts himself there and says, don't be ashamed of me either. Where's Paul? Paul's in chains. Paul's in prison. And he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. He's in Rome uh, for his uh, ministry, and now he has been treated as a threat. He's treated as a problem, as a troublemaker. And so he's, on, he's, he's in chains. And Paul here asks Timothy not to disassociate from him as a result. Again, because this is a real life issue. Because Paul was abandoned. Paul elsewhere says that when he was at his first offense, no one came to stand by him. They didn't want to do it. They couldn't care to do it, or it was too risky to do it. To stand by someone who was being treated as a political threat, someone that was treated as a troublemaker, might cast a bad shadow on them. And so others were happy to disassociate from Paul. They were going to carry on as though they were of a different sort than Paul. But Paul, as an apostle, Paul, as someone who was directly commissioned by Christ to proclaim this message of good news, 
is asking Timothy not to be ashamed of him. Not to divorce himself from the ministry that Christ has given to him. Not to be ashamed of the bond that has been formed by the work of the Spirit. That they are uh, to recognize one another and to support one another. Again, uh, this is a danger that we can all fall into. Uh, We can withdraw uh, from others. If Timothy was ashamed to associate with Paul now that he was in prison, it would raise the question of whether or not Timothy was more concerned about his comfort than about honoring Christ's servants. And so Paul has to highlight this because, again, it's a real danger. Later in this chapter, you see in verse 15, he says, you are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Paul ministered in Asia, that is the Roman province of Asia, for years. And now he can say, all have turned away. Now he doesn't mean every single person, but he is saying, many are happy to disassociate from me now. I know what it's like to be disassociated from for people to be ashamed of me now because I'm under suspect, because I have chains, because I'm looked at as a troublemaker. And so he reminds Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord's servants either. Don't just say, but I believe the gospel, but I don't want to identify with the Lord's people. Paul is saying the two go together. Notice there how he says it too. He doesn't say, don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner in Rome. What does he say? He says, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Who am I, Timothy? I don't want you to think about me the way the world thinks of me. I'm not just that troublemaker who's causing discord in the Roman civilization. Timothy, I'm a servant of Jesus. And I'm serving Jesus in prison. Because that is where he wants me. Don't be ashamed at the work of God's providence in my life. And so here he gives them that exhortation not to be ashamed of the Lord's people. They presumably did not want to be frowned upon themselves. And so they did not associate with Paul themselves. Again, when we think about the dynamics of this message of Jesus Christ... The issue of shame keeps coming back up. If we have yet to come to believe in Christianity, ask that lingering question. Is it because I am persuaded it's not true? Or is it because I'm hesitant about the consequences if it is? That I don't want to go through the challenges that will be on the other side. Is it a fear of the rejection that comes for having embraced Christ. Shame can have a very powerful effect on a person. It can cause them to make decisions to choose courses of life simply to avoid trouble. So Paul here is reminding Timothy, don't let shame be the controlling factor of your life. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the Lord's servant. There's no apostles today. But Paul 
was one who was a promoter of that message. And if there are servants of God who are preaching God's word faithfully, then to disassociate from them would cause a a suspicion that comfort is a bigger factor in our life than honoring Christ. There are preachers that are preaching God's word faithfully. They are preaching about marriage as between one man and one woman. They are preaching faithfully that God is Lord of life and death. They are preaching the truth about human sexuality that God made them male and female. They are preaching God's word. We may not feel comfortable when we hear these issues coming up because we know it causes unrest, because we know there's trouble associated with it. But if we want to disassociate ourselves from the church because it's going to be troubling, then it does call to question whether we're just ashamed of God's servants. And if we're ashamed of God's servants, we may not be surprised if we're ashamed of the message that they were proclaiming. So here's a real message for a real man who had a sincere faith. Timothy, your faith is genuine. Don't let shame take over. Don't be controlled by that hostile environment in Ephesus. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus. Don't be ashamed of your brothers in Christ. So there's a danger that Paul warns him about. But then secondly, he gives him this directive as well in verse 8. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share in the suffering for the gospel. That's a heavy load. He tells Timothy to endure suffering, not to break under the weight of hostility, but to carry on and to knowingly go through suffering for the sake of the gospel. But it's important to realize here that when Paul gives this directive to Timothy, as he's writing this letter, which is his last letter to Timothy, his last summons to Timothy, how to carry on his life without Paul, he's telling him to be willing to share, share in the suffering for the gospel. But he doesn't say to do it by the power of his own strength. He tells him to do it by the power of God. You remember that he said that, Timothy, you, you have a sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your mother and your grandmother. It is a faith that was wrought by the Holy Spirit because you've been given the spirit of love, power, and self-control. And it's that same spirit that dwells in Timothy that is going to enable him to willingly suffer for the gospel. The spirit of strength and power will enable him to go through these things. That's Paul's point here. So it's not just a matter of grinding his teeth, clenching his fists, and holding on for dear life. Paul is saying to Timothy, live with a confidence that God's spirit will sustain you. 
Live with a confidence that God's spirit dwells within you. Live with a confidence that God's spirit will give you the strength and not to live with fear. But then he explains how that directive will take place. How is it that the spirit will give him that power? What does that mean? The spirit of power, the power of God at work in you. The way that the spirit works in the life of a believer is to take that message, that testimony of Jesus, and to impress it upon the believer's heart, to cause them to see it more and more so that they treasure it, so that they are willing to say, when I evaluate these two options of enduring hardship versus losing this, I would rather give up. I would rather suffer in order to hold on to this precious good news. It is the work of the Spirit then to cause them to appreciate that gospel. The gospel that brings salvation is the gospel that begins to shape them as well, which is the work of the Spirit uh, in in them. What what is the gospel that the Spirit uses then? Uh, It says there in verse 9, that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. What is it that is Timothy supposed to suffer for? He's to suffer knowing that God saves sinners. What are you enduring this for? It is is the truth of God's salvation. Salvation, to be set free. We were captive to sin that we are no longer under the power of sin, but that we have been delivered by the power of God. He saved us. That's what the gospel is about. That by nature we are under the power, the effect, the consequences of our sin. We're helpless in that state. But God comes to set us free from our sins, to deliver us from the consequences of our sin, to bring us to freedom. That's what salvation is. And so Paul reminds them of the glory of God's grace by highlighting that God saves us. But notice how he teases it out. Not by works. Who saved us, not because of our works. You look at the religions of the world. The religions of the world will teach you, you got to save yourself. You got to do something to reach paradise. You need to do something to have a better uh, afterlife. Paul here denies that right up front. Salvation is not on the basis of what you do. You can't save yourself in that sense. But if we can't save ourselves, if we can't deliver us from our own problem of having rebelled against God, what is the grounds or the basis of being saved? How is it that a person can be delivered from their own foolishness, from their own sin? And notice what Paul says, not because of works, but because of his own gracious purpose. Because of God's own plan. His gracious plan was the grounds for doing that. Maybe some of you are already starting to look ahead to Christmas. 
and you're already starting to think about what you will be doing at Christmas time. Are you starting to block off days? What days will you be getting together with people? What might you be doing? Uh, but you have to make plans ahead of time so that when the time comes, everything works the way you were hoping to. Those plans are what are going to guarantee that things come together successfully. But notice here, as Paul talks about salvation, he says all of this came about not because of what you did, but because of God's own plan. A plan of grace that was orchestrated in the mind of God. And he says this was orchestrated before time itself. In other words, in eternity. In eternity past, God was designing this work of how he would save sinners. This plan was a gracious plan in Christ Jesus. Everything directly related back to Christ. Everything was about what Christ would accomplish. And that in Christ, sinners would be saved. That it would be through his death and his resurrection and his ascension that there would be salvation from sin. That's how it would be accomplished. But it all finds its roots in God's eternal plan. And what was accomplished in, in history has eternal implications. That's why Paul says he has abolished death. The power of death has been broken and has brought eternality, eternal life, and immortality. He's brought these things to light so that we can see how it is that we can have life after death, how it is that we can live with God. These things have been clearly made known now through God's work. So as Paul is telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, and we say, well, how is it that I can't be ashamed of it? but be willing to suffer for it. He says it's by the work of God. It's the power of God that changes a person so that they're willing to stand for something hard. Why would they stand for this? And Paul says, step back and think about it. Something of eternal significance has taken place. That God from all eternity has planned something that has been fulfilled in time. That has eternal consequences as a result. And now we zero in on our own present moment. And as Paul says somewhere else, these momentary afflictions do not compare with the weight of eternal glory. Again, it's a one of comparison. As the Spirit impresses these truths, do you see what God has been doing? Do you, do you treasure what God has brought to pass in history? Do you see that even what you're living with right now, compared to the abolishing of death and of immortality, these things do not compare? So Paul celebrates the, the reality of what the gospel is. It is God's salvation, not by works, but because of God's own plan. He goes on, he says very quickly that not only does God save us, but he sanctifies us. In verse 9, he goes on and he says that he who saved us and called us to a holy calling, that 
God who sanctifies, he sets them apart. He calls them to a different life. His name is placed upon them, and they now are willing to identify themselves with the Lord. This is the work of the Spirit within a person. Not only does he cause them to enjoy the benefits that Christ has accomplished, but the Spirit causes them to be willing to do these things because they see themselves as belonging to the Lord. This is where I ought to stand because I belong to God. This is where I want to stand, therefore, because I have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so Paul is reminding him the Lord's call has been impressed upon him. He has been saved. He has been sanctified. But then thirdly, we can also highlight the security that he enjoys in the gospel. In verse 12, he goes on and he says, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul's again writing this from prison. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. If you have read different Bible translations, you may notice that there's a variation in the way that this verse is translated. And it's because the Greek itself allows for two different translations. This can be literally translated as my entrustment or my deposit. And so some translations take that as my deposit, meaning God is able to guard my life. I entrust that to God. And other translations take the my deposit to be referring to the gospel itself what Paul himself has uh, been given. But here's the point that is important. However you take that verse, what's being underscored there is the guardianship of God. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because he, know, he knows who he believes in and he's convinced that God is able to guard, to guard his gospel so that it does not fail. It will save sinners and to guard the lives of his people unto eternal life. And so Paul is able to live with that sense of peace. Yes, there will be hardships, but I live under the sovereign hand of God. There will be much suffering, but I'm still under his control. Nothing is beyond his control. And that's what we need to keep telling ourselves. And so here, Paul is reminding Timothy not to be ashamed, but to be willing to stand for the gospel. Why? Because it's, it's worth it. It is the eternal glory of God revealed in time through the incarnation of the Son of God. That it has eternal significance. That it brings the abolishment of death. That it brings life and immortality to light. And this is something that we are to live under confidence of God's guardianship. That, that word there, uh, what has been entrusted to me or my deposit. You think of um, when you go to work. If you work, then you receive uh, a payment. You will be paying yourself or you will receive a payment from your employer. And that money that you make, you will then deposit it oftentimes into a bank account. And you're, you're taking your earnings and you're putting it in a bank because you're confident the bank isn't going to lose it. 
that they guarantee that they will secure your assets and you will be able to recover them later. And so you're willing to entrust that to their care. And Paul is saying that we are to live with that confidence in God. That our lives are in his hands. And so we can live with confidence. That God's work is in his hands. And so there is peace that comes with that. What comfort then is there for Timothy in his situation? It is by being reminded of the nature of God's saving grace. From eternity to eternity, God saves sinners. Where I'm living right now is but a moment that has eternal consequences. We are to live knowing that we have been set aside by the work of the Spirit if we're trusting in Christ. We have been sanctified and are to belong to him. And that we are kept secure by the power of God. So don't read these words and just think that Paul is telling Timothy to buck up. Paul is reading, saying these words to Timothy, telling him to live, to swim in the waters of the gospel. To live in light of God's work. Don't be ashamed of it. Adore it. So where are you this evening? Are you someone who shrinks back at the message of Jesus? Are you someone who has come to believe these truths? You may be sitting here wondering, what does tomorrow bring? Will I be able to stand when the time comes? We don't know. Timothy didn't know. He had a genuine faith, but he still needed that encouragement. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in the power of God. So let us not live in fear, but in dependence on God's spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about this exhortation uh, to uh, Timothy, we pray, Lord, that we would understand that we all live in times where there is great pressures against your people. We pray, Lord, that we would not rely on our own strength, that we would not be people who are uh, uh, trying to find our, our uh, courage from within, but we pray, Lord, that we would be leaning on the work of your spirit in our lives. We pray that we would treasure the Lord Jesus and by your grace that we would not be ashamed. Lord, help us to be people who take the testimony of Jesus serious, realizing that it calls for us to follow in light of its truth. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, we would glory in the work of our eternal God. Go before us now in Jesus' name.